Hi, Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist. Uh, welcome to Season 2, Episode 104. Um, health Hazards and Safety Practices for the Conservator. Some people may consider uh, some of us, like me, myself, an alarmist for including uh, a podcast on safety. But documented facts are available. Many commonly used materials, even those in everyday service as housekeeping aids uh, or potential health hazards, and many commercial and workshop preparations used in conservation work are hazardous if they are not used properly. Highly recommended readings uh, about this subject is uh, Michael McCain's Health Hazards Manual for Artists. Um, his bibliography also lists other publications written for anyone who works either routinely or infrequently with conservation-related materials. And one periodical, the uh, Art Hazard News, is a monthly newsletter providing current information on the subject. It, is, uh, it has similar periodicals and should be purchased by all institutions where commercial products are used in conservation work. So let's uh, briefly touch on toxic substances, hazards that should be avoided. So, uh, you know, children have certain vulnerabilities. Before saying anything any further, I would like to stress that children should never be exposed to the kinds of materials discussed in the podcast. Children have little resistance to toxic substances, and there are documented cases of their developing terminal illnesses when they live in a household containing artist studios or furniture refinishing shops. The records also include instances of fetal damage when expectant mothers are exposed to the hazardous vapors of solvents, toxic pigments, and heavy metal fumes. Adults need uh, for safety practices also, but Who should know better? Countless times people can be seen operating paint sprayers or insecticide dispensers without safety equipment and without having put on protective clothing. The situation is always the same. The spray operator squints and makes a face and frequently attempting to use one hand or the other over protecting his eyes and another over protecting his nose from the odor he's dispensing. The effect of those contortions is negligible. They may reduce very slightly the amount of spray entering partially closed eyes, but droplets of the substance being disseminated continue to land on the exposed skin and eyelids. Breathing is essential for all of us, and that means that if you do not wear an approved respirator when you dispense toxic substances with a sprayer, you will be willy-nilly inhaling vapors of the spray. Holding the breath for a long possible period of time won't help either. Eventually, one must gasp for a lung full of air, and that means sucking in even more of the noxious vapor than originally. Protective clothing and equipment and approved procedures for using them are essential to the well-being of anyone working with many of the substances routinely used in conservation work. It is the responsibility of each individual who does such work or who supervises others who do it, to see that the correct safety measures are thoroughly well-known and observed on the job. 
So the, <clears throat> so the following are some basic recommendations for doing various kinds of conservation work safely. Clothing and personal equipment. Respirators. Before beginning to dispense any toxic substance to a sprayer, one should put on a well-made, properly fitting respirator to reduce the amount of spray vapor inhaled. To be fully effective, a good respirator must fit snugly. Bearded people cannot make a respirator fit well enough for it to be fully effective. All respirators must have appropriate operative cartridges attached. Gloves. The spray, should also, the spray wielder should also wear protective gloves, which are available in rubber, plastic, nitrile, and other materials. Safety gloves should be worn as standard equipment in working with or around noxious substances. Now available are some disposable polyethylene safety gloves and, as we said, nitrile with sleeves. If you are like me, you will initially find respirators and gloves quite the nuisance. After using them a few times, however, um, me, I've used them about 20,000 times. I feel that uh, wearing them became almost second nature. And actually going through the pandemic, keeping the mask on was second nature because of this. Um, especially when I reflect that I'm the one doing all the protecting. So as a matter of course, anytime you're dealing with ingredients that the skin may absorb, you need to put on a pair of disposable gloves. Maintenance people should wear protective gloves whenever they polish furniture. Do not protect the furniture, or I'm sorry, not to protect the furniture, but to protect themselves. Since they may polish furniture quite frequently, they should not take chances with the harmful cumulative effects that some of these preparations used for that work may have on human health. Shop precautions and equipment. The emergency telephone numbers on poison centers, fire departments, and ambulances should be posted by all telephones in a laboratory or a workshop or kept on your cell phone at all times. Eyewash stations should be immediately available throughout the work area. In case of accidents involving toxic fluids, these stations are available at small cost from chemical supply houses and they could save your eyes. An oily waste can also available from chemical supply houses should be standard equipment and should be used for disposing of solvent-saturated rags and cotton-tipped applicators. Empty the contents of such a can every night into a metal trash can receptacle kept outside the building. Don't allow dirty, oily rags to accumulate in the building because of the ever-present danger of spontaneous combustion. Arrange to have a rubbish company pick up your oily waste um, from the medical metal, metal receptacle at least once a week. Do not try to burn the trash of this kind. That could cause an explosion in your incinerator. Explosion-proof fans that exhaust 125 to 150 feet of cubic air per minute can help carry away such vapors from the operator of questionable or hazardous materials. Such fans are available in various forms for use with spray booths, fume hoods, fume exhaust trunks, and or either portable or window-mounted units. Any well-equipped laboratory or workshop should have at least one fan in each of these types. Smaller shops and repair businesses operated from one's home should have at least either a portable explosion-proof fan or a window-mounted one. 
It is important that all fans used in conservation laboratories or workshops be explosion-proof because flammable, flammable vapors can pass through them and a spark could cause an, an ignition. Storage and disposal of solvents and acids. To store solvents and flammable materials safely, always read the manufacturer's labels and always keep those labels if the substance is not a good one. You may be... Uh, um, want to eventually try to transfer that to an original container. But the best procedure is to store all such products in the manufacturer's original containers so there's no mistakes for markers or lost tags or anything like that. So if you must, <clears throat> if you must uh, transfer some of these chemicals, however, they should all be put into approved safety cans developed especially for solvent storage. Waste solvents should also be stored in approved safety storage cans, which should be emptied by a licensed chemical disposal company that complies with local regulations. It is not difficult to find the local hazardous waste disposal company. An Office of the Environmental Protection Agency should be able to provide that information for you. If the waste materials from a small shop or a home workshop uh, amount only to a jar or two a month, Perhaps some friend who works for a large company that disposes of toxic waste may be willing to add those few ounces to his regular load as a favor. You may never use acids in your work, but if you do, before disposing of them, <clears throat> see the People's Island Health and Safety Manual and check local regulations. Never store acids and bases together, and when those substances are, are they, they are to be diluted. Always pour them into water. Never pour water into acids or bases. Always wear gloves, goggles, or a safety apron when handling acids and bases. Never pour organic solvents and acids down a drain. Never dispose of such materials by pouring them on the ground. If that practice is followed even a few times, it could become the habit and not a good one. You may be unintentionally creating your own monster by dumping non-biodegradable materials such as a resinous compound or a wood preservative or something containing a pigment or particulate compound or other potential time bomb. Years later, after you have moved away, some unsuspecting person could plant a family garden over your dump and be poisoned by eating produce grown there. So be careful with that. Powder chemicals. When mixing powder chemicals such as dry pigments, wear a dusk respirator and safety gloves. Turn on your explosion-proof fan to carry away the airborne particles. For additional information on powder chemicals, lead hazards, fiberglass particles, noise levels, gases, and other hazards, <clears throat> we will provide a, uh, a bibliography uh, at a later episode coming up in just about two episodes. Using uh, woodworking equipment safely. When using woodworking equipment, observe the following safe practices or procedures. Number one, do not wear ties or loose clothing. Number two, turn machine circuit breakers off when changing blades, cutters, bits, or belts. Number three, make sure you know how to operate the equipment, equipment safely. Under full control, one individual I know had a part of his finger cut off in an accident on a saw blade and said later, 
my mind went in one direction and my finger went in the other direction. And I must say that uh, I, uh, I had a friend who owned a wood shop uh, several years ago and uh, a fellow was changing a, 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 a six inch diameter, 20 pound, huge, very tall, shaper blade. And uh, it was lunchtime and you know how employees, they want to rush out the door. So he put the blade on, or he put the shaper cutter on. Didn't put the nut back on top. And uh, someone else came in earlier after lunch and wanted to use the shaper. And they never checked it, and they turned it on. And it sent uh, <clears throat> thousands of RPMs, this 20-pound projectile. And it leaped off of the arbor, worked its way up off the arbor, and sailed like a frisbee through the shop and, and cut someone's spinal cord off and killed him instantly. So, so check your work area that you complete all processes before you move on. Number four, keep the work area clean. Sawdust on the floor increases the chances of slipping. Um, also, any cords that could be tripping hazards. Number five, wear safety glasses or face shields when operating machinery. My typical glasses I wear probably have saved my eyes hundreds of times. Number six, for protection against inhaling sawdust. The sawdust of some woods can be very toxic. Um, use particulate matter filters in your respirator. In addition, each machine should be equipped with a sawdust exhaust system as specified by the manufacturer. So some of the, the worst, you know, really common woods used in wood shops, uh, because I've been around many years now, is uh, walnut mahogany. And uh, walnut can cause black lung the same as a coal miners get. And certain uh, cellular structures get down into the uh, get down the lungs. I mean, many many would soften up with moisture, but uh, there's there's a few that don't do not soften, and they uh, they're a real problem. Um, the other thing is this: uh, we talked about a few episodes before is thermally modified wood. Those fibers are petrified. You have to be extraordinarily careful not to breathe any of those in, because they will not break down. Number seven, exhaust fumes from the work area as necessary. Number eight, position machines so the operators cannot be startled by anyone as they approach. Um, and in, in the shops that I've had, I like to keep uh, sometimes a convex mirror up in the ceiling in a corner that uh, kind of or, you know, picks up anyone walking through a door and someone can pick it up out of the corner of their eye if they're working on certain machines. Number nine, do not bring into the shop any food or drink that could become contaminated. And number 10, never work when tired, when medication affects your thinking, your coordination, or when you're in a hurry. So four hazardous substances in common use. Four common components found in conservation-related products are kerosene, methyl alcohol, turpentine, and xylene. Inhalation and absorption symptoms that are the danger signals exhibited when these materials have been ingested are given here. For, <clears throat> for methods of treatment, however, consult a physician. For further reading, um, see Goslin, Hodge, Smith, and Gleason, Clinical Toxicology of Commercial Products. So let's talk about one hazardous material here, kerosene. Kerosene is one of those several petroleum distillates prepared by the fractionation of crude petroleum oil. 
Kerosene and related compounds are used as vehicles for many insecticides and fungicides, paint thinners, and cleaning agents. Toxicology. For the average adult, a lethal oral dose of kerosene is approximately 3 to 4 ounces. Symptomology. Inhalation. Transient euphoria resembling alcoholic intoxication. Headache. Nausea. Burning sensation in chest, weakness and poor coordination, confusion and disorientation, leading to drowsiness and eventually coma. Rarely sudden death. Death is usually due to respiratory arrest. Methyl alcohol, which is wood alcohol or methanol, is a widely used solvent in varnishes, paints, paint removers, and shellacs. It is present in some ethyl alcohols also. Toxicology. Methyl alcohol is readily absorbed from the respiratory system and gastrointestinal tracts. As little as two teaspoons is considered toxic if ingested, and the fatal dose in man lies between two and eight ounces. Symptomology. Uh, A latency usually of 12 to 18 hours, during which the time any clinical sign uh, will show. Number two, headaches weakness, leg cramps, vertigo, progressing into apathy and coma or to excitement and convulsions, vomiting and nausea, dimness of vision and dilated pupils. Turpentine. Turpentine or gum turpentine, spirits of turpentine, and oil of turpentine are essentially synonymous names. Turpentine is a common solvent found in many homes and workshops. It's toxicology. Turpentine is readily absorbed from the skin, gastrointestinal tract, and respiratory tract. Fatalities through ingestion have been reported as little as half an ounce has proved fatal to a child, but a few children have survived two or three ounces. The the mean lethal dose in adults is probably between four to six ounces. The symptoms burning pain in throat and mouth, abdominal pain, vomiting, and sometimes diarrhea. Mild uh, respiratory tract symptoms and frequently noted, including choking, coughing, even absorption may lead to pulmonary edema. Xylene, which is a heavy one, and it's a mixture of three isomers, O-xylene, M-xylene, and P-xylene. It can be a representative of the aromatic hydrocarbon solvents solvents of toluene, benzene, (coughs) metacetylene, and cumene. These substances are often found in containers of one another, widely used in industry and found in the home. The mixes can be found in insecticides, pesticides, paint removers, lacquers, and degreasers. Toxicology. This volatile solvent, including its constituents, is toxic in all portals of entry, but absorption is generally too slow to produce systemic poisoning. Although it's often its results in a characteristic dermatitis attributed to removal of the protective fat. The same symptoms follow the inhalation of vapor and the ingestion of liquid, but in respiratory exposures, bronchial and laryngeal irritation are usually more prominent. The symptoms Ingestion causes a burning sensation in the mouth and stomach, accompanied or followed by nausea and vomiting. In vapor exposures, the euphoria is sometimes observed. 
substantial pain, cough, and hoarseness, headache, giddiness, and vertigo, confusion, and coma. Often associated with coma are tremors, motor relentlessness, and hyperactive reflexes. So xylene is the heavy one. Um, use all of them in moderation. And uh, what I would say is be careful with the, uh, you know, using some of this, the, the strippers now, uh, many of the, uh, a lot of the lethal, uh, very heavy uh, solvents have removed from strippers in the past year. Unfortunately, it's hurt our industry of removing finishes. The other thing you have to be careful with, I think, is the, uh, the waxes. Um, some of these waxes... Uh, Bry wax and a couple others uh, are really heavy. They, they have some solvents in there that just are, uh, make uh, employees I've been around very uncomfortable. Um, solvents and, you know, don't forget your lacquer thinners, which have some of those xylene uh, components into it. Um, and, and also, uh, which at one time I was around, but uh, for, for a number of, uh, you know, four or five years, is that uh, people in, you know, refinishing houses or businesses, you know, when they're in there spraying, they pull the piece out, the piece sits there, and then they go spray another piece, it sits out there. So these pieces, after they're sprayed, are flashing for 24, 48, 36 hours, or even more. And uh, and then you come into work the next day, and, and the, you know, the air is accumulated with all the lacquer fumes, and you don't notice it. And when you start working around lacquer for an extended time, you don't notice... Um, your, your nasal tolerance becomes very low, so um, just something else to look out for. But uh, So that's it for safety practices for conservators and conservation areas. Greg Perry, the historic preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.